Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Talking Blues podcast. Um, we decided to come back after the Champions League second leg against Real Madrid instead of after the Brighton game. It was bad after both. Doesn't, didn't, you know, we're hoping for a more positive result here. And uh, Chelsea lose 2-0, 4-0 on aggregate to Real Madrid, who uh, you know have thoroughly outplayed them over two legs. And uh, this was just, it was a better performance, that's for sure. But there was a lot of quest- uh, questionable things that happened, including uh, the lineup initially picked by Lampard, which we'll talk in a second about, and uh, obviously a lot of missed chances, which has kind of been the story of our season so far. Uh, obviously, since I'm doing the intro, that means that Josh is not with us, unfortunately, today for this episode, but Peter is here. So, Peter, how are you doing? How are you feeling? It's the it's the next day, so you've had a bit, t- a bit of time to digest. How are you feeling? Well, I mean, I said it last episode. I mean, I feel better. I've moved on because I said last episode, I'm numb at this point, you know, going into the game, especially after the lineup, like you said, Alex. I was genuinely just like, okay, well, we're losing. So I just wanted the game to not be painful to watch. And it wasn't painful to watch, which is the step up from every single performance of Chelsea for the past, like, five months. We actually looked somewhat decent, somewhat dangerous. We had, like, twice some sort of resemblance of a pattern of play, some sort of defensive shape. It looked like we were a competent team. Not a good team, because obviously still lost 2-0. Real Madrid still played better than us. But we looked competent at times. We looked threatening. But obviously, we we can't score. Because, I mean, scoring goals are overrated. All we care about is piling up that XG, baby. I mean, score a goal to win the game? We don't really care. Just get some shots off. Oh, even those shots like uh, Mudrik's shot after a nice pass, uh, a nice player just go into the stratosphere anyway, so there really is no chance. But I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You know, I'm I I've I've it's very far past the point where I've let the uh, Chelsea results impact my day more than the day of the game. So how are you doing, Alex? After a day to reflect, I'm doing all right. Uh, it's been a it's been a tough week for me. For all my teams, at least you've got your Celtics and, you know, your Red Sox and whatever. The Bruins were having a great season in hockey, right? So I only got my Nets um, and they are not doing well either. And Chelsea isn't doing well. So it's just it's a struggle right now. But uh, with obviously this is a Chelsea podcast. I'm going to focus on that. It was it was definitely tough to watch. Um, You know, this is the it's not. It's not fun when you know that your team's not going to win. Uh, and that's basically what we came to the conclusion of, uh, both of us, I feel like, before the game even began. And you knew that just, you know, we were, there was just nothing that was going to go right after the lineup was released. Uh, and we were, I guess, pleasantly surprised considering uh, it was a Gallagher and Havertz front two, and then obviously Kukurea starting at left wing back, who we'll get into in a few minutes. I just don't understand what has happened to him. Is it the lack of form with it? Like, he's just awful, but I'll talk about him in a second. But, you know, only having one attacker when you're down 2-0 against Real Madrid just didn't really make sense. I thought we'd go for a 4-3-3 or at worst a 3-4-3 or a 3-5-2, at least have two attackers. But no, uh, Gallagher as a you know, a number 10 right behind Havertz, uh, who is your, I guess, number nine. And no Mudrik, no Pulisic, no Sterling, no Mount, no any of the attackers. 
uh, Mariuke, who's, you know, disappeared as we've come to that conclusion uh, through the corridor in the dressing room at Cobham. But, you know, there's nothing, there was no hope, it felt like, uh, even going into the game. And, you know, I get it. If this was the first leg, maybe it would have been better, right? You're going in with fresh, clean state uh, slate, nil-nil. You know, maybe you say, oh, we're away from home. We're at the Bernabeu. You know, let's let's just try to, you know, hold on, maybe get a few nice chances off the break. Uh, and that would have been a good strategy. But you're already down 2-0. It just doesn't make sense. Um, and, you know, Chelsea played well if the score wasn't 2-0. It just didn't make sense at the time. And then by the time you brought on the attackers, Chelsea are already down uh, 3-0 on aggregate. And then eventually shortly after that, they're down 4-0 on aggregate. And you make that triple change one in the 65th minute. Mudrick, Sterling, Jao Felix, who, you know, come on, they create some nice chances, but once again, none of them are able to finish. And that's the that's the story of this Chelsea season. We got all these attackers and just none of them are able to finish. And then defensively for the couple of goals uh, for Rodrigo, it's just, uh, you know, multiple collapses, whether it's Chalaba, whether it's Kukurea, um, it's just not, not good enough uh, defensively and not good enough going forward. And we're just kind of stuck in the middle uh, where we create some decent chances at times, no one finishes, and then we get caught off uh, on the break, whether it's, on, well, mostly on the break, and, uh, you know, exposed for both of these goals uh, that made it 4-0 altogether. So uh, definitely there were some positives in terms of the chance creation and the tempo that we played at, but besides that, it was just, it's hard to take a lot of positives out of, um, you know, this tie. Yeah, I mean, you kind of said it all. When you go into a game with, I, w- I would even argue, zero attackers, because I don't even know if you can call Kai Havertz an attacker at this point. You really can't do anything. I mean, they got into good chances, but all the people that had good chances, Ngolo Kante, Marco Garello, the two biggest ones, arguably, you don't, they're not goal scorers. I mean, not like we have any goal scorers at all, but out of anybody on the team, they're close to the bottom of who you want in very dangerous attacking positions where you'd expect them to score. So that's obviously not ideal. I, I mean, I, it, the tactics worked well if we were in a game that was nil-nil. Because we actually, we played well. We had good possession. You know, we had some good passages of play, like I said earlier. But it was always going to happen where as the game went on, we were going to have to push our wingbacks up more and we're going to have to leave players isolated. That's what happened on the Rodrigo goal or on the first goal, uh, the tap-in. It's just Cucurella's playing second striker because there's no one next to Havertz, which means Chalaba's pushed over because that's where the ball is, which means there's Rodrigo in like 100 yards of space, the nearest players halfway across the field. And that's always going to happen when you have to attack. But I mean, if we scored a goal earlier with having, I don't know, Sterling, I guess, is probably up there for one of our best goal scorers, which is quite sad. Uh, instead of Conte in that position, like five minutes into the game, it's a whole different game. We Maybe we don't need to push up as aggressively and leave us isolated at the back, leave us so, so, so open at the back. But that's what Frank Lampard went with, uh, so we had to live with that. And I just can't wait until next season when we have a actually an actual manager i don't even want to say a competent manager because i don't think frank Frank lampard is just a player who is pretending to be a manager Uh, i i've made the joke to uh alex i think after the brighton game i said uh 
uh, Frank Lampard uh, saw, you know, on Twitter, there was a bunch of people calling Graham Potter the worst ever Chelsea manager. So we had to get back in, in the job to make sure he would solidify his spot at the bottom of the totem pole. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to uh, watch. And, and Kukurea, right, he comes in the most expensive fullback ever. And he has been awful. You know, we thought Alonso was bad. He was nowhere near this. At least, you know, Kukurea is just as much of a liability defensively. It feels like going forward, uh, he seems almost a little bit too awkward. Obviously, Chilwell unavailable uh, in this game due to his uh, red card in the first leg, which really hurt us. You know, Reese James, I thought on the other side, looked much, much better uh, in this leg than he did in the first leg. So I was, uh, I guess, pleased to see that. And in the midfield, you know, I think that Enzo, Conte, Kovacic trio works well if you have two good attackers that are consistent and can finish and can create chances. They can do it all. And I think that would work better. And I think that's where you need, you know, is someone who's much more clinical, not a Felix or a Mudrik or uh, even a Sterling at times, uh, who's just surplistic, right? Who are more creators. They get good chances and they just never put them away. And that's the issue for Chelsea Havertz included as well. And, um, you know, you look at the team right now, because obviously we can't talk about this game forever. It's just going to make it drive us insane. You look at the team now, that midfield, that, that I guess midfield five, including the wingbacks, right? With Enzo, Conte, Kovacic, Chilwell, and Reese James, you know, that's a pretty set part of our team. And I feel like that's going to be a, you know, a backbone of it going forward, that midfield, you know, um, spot, I guess you can say. I, I don't know. It's kind of weird with the wing backs. But, and then Fafana, you know, had another pretty good game as well uh, for, you know, for Chelsea here in the second leg. You got Thiago Silva. Obviously, he's not going to be around forever. Koulibaly is shaky. And Chalaba is clearly just not up to the Chelsea level or Chelsea standard. Not that many players are currently, but I think that's been uh, abundantly clear over the past few weeks. You know, you probably need to bring in a couple of center backs. You probably need, uh, you know, a new goalkeeper because once again, Kepa, I mean, Kepa had, uh, he made uh there was one pass that he made out of the back in the second leg here. That was just awful. I'm like, what are you, what are you seeing uh, that that made sense to do? And then obviously you need attackers as well. And I think that's going to be the the key for Chelsea. You need some clinical forwards. And a lot of people are just going to have to be shipped out uh, in the summer. And I think that's what, you know, Bowley uh, and even Lampard has hinted at. Uh, and Graham Potter as well, even before he was sacked. And uh, that's going to be certainly interesting. I do want to bring up one thing, Peter. I'm not sure if you saw this. Uh, I guess in the way that Bowley has been structuring contracts, because Chelsea are in the UCL, uh, next season, or I mean, I guess it's not confirmed yet, but they won't be. Let's be honest; uh, it's pretty much impossible. It might even be impossible at this point. They, uh, most players on the team, will have a thirty percent pay cut because of that. Did you know that? I did not know that, and uh, I saw. I did. I did. I remember when we first signed all these players in January. Everyone was like, "Oh, why are you doing that? That's such a useless clause." Oh, blah 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 blah, blah whatever. Because everyone thought at that point. I mean, it looked bad, but everyone thought that there was still a chance we could turn it around. But I mean, he's just smart. I mean, well, it's actually kind of sad because that means he just kind of <laughs> expected it. But <laughs> uh, I mean, it is smart. And now all the players that are left on high wages. I remember. I think it was like Pulisic, Havertz, Kovacic, all of them. They're all candidates to get shipped out anyway, which, I mean, that probably just increases the likelihood of that happening, which 
I wouldn't say I'm necessarily opposed to if it makes things if it makes things actually happen. So we don't have a 35 man squad where it's inco- impossible to give anyone game time, and so we don't have people like uh, Madueka or Chukwameka who are just sitting on the bench having never to be seen again. But I do think that was a really smart move by Bowley. And I mean, as much as you can hate on him and say that a lot of this is his fault, I think a lot of it has to fall on the players too. Obviously, he could have picked a better coach, but I mean, people were cl- uh, people were happy with the Frank Lampard appointment. No one expected him to be this bad. So I think for all the hate he gets, you also have to point out that he has done things that are smart and will help the club long term. And I think it's a lot of hate from just this awful, awful season is going to him. When in reality, I think this was needed to kind of make a change in culture, make a change in the locker room, get some players out, kind of a, a reset button. But I do agree that he does deserve hate. But things like this with these clauses where we're not going to get the UCL money now, and but with these wages, we don't need as much of the UCL money anyway. So I think he deserves some prayers for that, despite the hate he gets. Yeah, I mean, he, you could see he cares and he's trying his best, obviously. It's tough transitioning from, you know, being a owner of a baseball team to a football club, right? It's, it's a very different atmosphere. The fans are more intense. It's a completely different game, a completely different, you know, market. Everything's different. So you do have to give him a little bit of time. And I think, uh, you know, he is trying his best along with the other, uh, you know, people in ownership as well. So that's that's something that I guess we have to consider and, you know, take it slow. Lampard's obviously not going to be here. He didn't win the Champions League. And that was probably his only hope of staying around. And it looks like, you know, there's a few candidates uh you know i guess still circling i saw pochettino was a name thrown around today god no please and um we'll never win a trophy again if we get him but um you know i think uh, nagelsman's a good idea possibly enrique i think is probably the best shout just because um you know he brings that stability experience as well which i think is important but i mean we'll talk about that more i'm sure over the coming weeks there's not gonna be much to recap uh, in terms of the games would be my guess but I mean, Peter, at this current moment, what is, who's your favorite, uh, you know, I guess, manager pick currently? I mean, it has to be Nagelsmann. Obviously, they're, they're poor. I was also a fan of Enrique. I was happy with Enrique and Nagelsmann, but obviously with the reports that he's not a favorite, not on the short list, whatever, whatever, not really looking like Enrique is going to be imported. And so Nagelsmann is the best option. And I mean, for what we're looking for, he's a young coach. Uh He's done well in small clubs and in Bayern, got sacked unfairly because of disputes or whatever. I still don't really know the full reason for that. Whatever it is, he's a good, talented coach with room to improve. But the only problem is, I think it would be easier if we do ship out some of these players, but with the 35-man squad, uh, I don't know how much authority he'd be able to have over the players. And the real big concern would just be man management and you know having control of the dressing room. But I do think that is a you know, overstated point because think in the grand scheme of things, if you're winning and doing well, no one's really going to be disappointed. And I think he has the talent. He has the tactics. He has what it takes to bring Chelsea back from being awful and actually give us something where it looks like we know what we're doing when we play. And so I think he would be my favorite. All right. I think that's pretty much it for today's episode. Honestly, it's tough to record these. I'm going to be completely honest, but... uh. I guess we'll be back. What is the next game here? When it when is the next game? I, it's it's scary even googling Chelsea at this point in time. Uh, so next Wednesday it looks like here uh, for Chelsea. So we'll be back uh, hopefully after that one. 
thank you everyone for listening. I know it's a really tough time for um, you know, all Chelsea fans. Obviously, if you're listening to this, you're most likely a Chelsea fan or, you know, a Real Madrid fan who's really uh, you know, excited and happy and wants to hear us suffer. So thank you. Um, you know, stay, you know, stay strong, stay in there, and uh we'll see you all next time with another episode. Peace. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason. And this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening.